Philippians 3:17-4, verse 1. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. The text for our Gospel Proclamation is the text from the Epistle to the Philippians, which serves as the basis of our theme for the second Sunday in Lent, All We Truly Need. What would Jesus do? This was an incredible ministry effort over 20 years ago that I experienced in Memphis, Tennessee. Youth ministers, pastors, and teachers alike were using this as a motivational tool for managing behavior in their youth, students, and parishioners alike. And it was impossible for anyone to adhere to that knew who Jesus was. I mean, just imagine being that person that knew the basics about Jesus, do unto others, speak softly and kindly, do a good turn daily. Okay, that last one is the Boy Scouts of America slogan, but you get the point. Doing what Jesus does means doing kind things to others without expecting anything in return. Pretty simple to live by until you get to know Jesus a little better. And any reasonable devotion to Jesus reveals that Jesus never did anything wrong. Even more than that, Jesus never even thought about doing anything wrong, nor could he even desire to do anything wrong. There is simply no sinful inclination in him at all. Once you discover that reality, you realize that you have signed on for a philosophy of living that is beyond the ability of anyone to follow with any consistency. So today's lesson from the letter to the church in Philippi might be a bit more comforting because it's impossible to be like Jesus, so be like Paul. And upon a cursory reading, that seems to be what Paul is saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Verse 17 comes across as an invitation to be like Paul and imitate anyone who imitates him. In the first letter to the church in Corinth, Chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says again, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. In a way, the Holy Spirit knows that Paul is more manageable example of Christian living. And that's all well and good in the general scheme of things. It's quite reasonable for all of us to have good examples to look to for succeeding in spiritual living. I have about five people that I aspire to have their ability spiritually. One for their discipline in prayer and devotion. Another for their ability to preach. Still another for their conflict management skills. Yet another for their brilliant classroom management. 
still another for their commitment to their wife and utter affection towards her and his children. These are all people, some of whom know I look to them for guidance, and others whom I anonymously observe from afar, that inform me on how I can improve and be a more effective disciple of Christ. I know that they are not perfect like Jesus. And I certainly don't see them as my savior, rather more like casual mentors and helpers for my daily personal growth. And at the end of the day, I know they are not perfect, but they model that too. And what to do when they fail. The Apostle Paul tells us why that is important as well. People who model the true spiritual life of Christ also model forgiveness and absolution. They recognize when they have sin against their brother or sister and restore the relationship through a sincere desire to make amends for what they have done wrong and change the way they think and act. They confront the one who sinned against them privately, one-on-one, -on -one, without sharing it with the community, seeking full restoration of a brother or sister in Christ. Finally, they know that if they can't recognize their own sin and need for forgiveness, they might not forgive either. And Christ himself says we must forgive to be forgiven. But there are some that think they can do no wrong. Or somehow it's somebody else's fault and they really didn't do anything wrong in and of themselves. In other words, they are righteous in and of themselves and can't possibly need forgiveness. Oh, how often have we encountered that individual at work, play, or the church that honestly believe it's someone else's fault every time? Even when they are confronted with the truth of a situation and realize they completely overreacted and were even culpable in the situation's demise, they still found a way to blame someone else. Sadly, I have seen this firsthand in people that proudly claim to be Christian. One example was an individual that thought we were not caring for their student properly. It was during an athletic event where their child was taken out of the game after a hard fall. I was in the stands watching the game myself and thought of all the times my sons had taken severe falls and how I fretted over their well-being. While I didn't always know what was happening, I knew their coaches had seen many a spill and would know the severity of their injuries. Well, this parent had no such confidence. In fact, she was verbally making her dissatisfaction with the safety concerns of her child evident to anyone that would listen in the stands. By game's end, she had built up such a full head of steam, she was ready to confront the coach and how he didn't care about her child's obvious injury. When she made that known to the coach, he showed her that her child wasn't injured, was not in pain, and everything was okay all along. Well, that wasn't good enough for her. She immediately went on a tirade that she was now upset with me, the school's pastor, for not coming out of the stands and running to her son's side and praying for him on the bench. This was just one example of many. So often... She was so wrong, and she even found ways to blame other people for her own inappropriate behavior. Mm, this is an extreme example I will allow. 
But it's obvious that she needed repentance every bit as much as we do. But what about the people who we really admire that have the same problem but are so polished at their outward appearance? We admire them as leaders in the spiritual community, even though they firmly believe their personal righteousness saves them from their sins. In verse 18, Paul is concerned to the point of tears about just this, that some, maybe even people who claim to be in Christ, are enemies of the cross of Christ. I know. Seems impossible, doesn't it? How could anyone we admire be an enemy to what Christ accomplished on the cross for our salvation? After all, good is good. And if someone is doing something good, how can that be bad? Especially to Jesus. He wants us to do good, doesn't he? In fact, we even said it with the Boy Scouts of America slogan at the beginning of the sermon, didn't we? How can that ever be an enemy of the cross of Christ? Well, it all depends on how and why, doesn't it? Consider the words of Luther in the large catechism at the close of the commandments. Apart from these ten commandments, no deed, no conduct can be good or pleasing to God, no matter how great or precious it may be in the eyes of the world. That can include any works righteousness, boasting about accomplishments at church, unusual or pompous church volunteerism, pretentious and pietistic acts, donations tied to expectations. This mindset can lead to even the worst example I've ever heard was concerning the actions of a particular pastor. This pastor, Tillian Tichijevin, Tichvijen, Tchitvijen, eh, I can't pronounce it, so we'll just call him PTT. He was caught in adultery several times. He would resign from his ministry assignment, get another ministry assignment, and then repeat the cycle all over again, time after time after engaging in several affairs, all told. Eventually, he was hailed as the ultimate consultant on how to, are you ready for this? not commit adultery, and is lauded and magnified for his knowledge. Look, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to learn how to drive from someone that's been in several auto accidents. I'm not going to take bomb-diffusing lessons from an explosive ordnance disposal member that doesn't have any arms or legs. And I'm certainly not going to take tips on how to remain faithful to my wife from a pastor that kept cheating on his wife. And yet people that are so certain of the goodness of men and women alike have elevated the goodness of this man who broke the commands. Brothers and sisters, the world is gone nuts and the squirrels are circling in for the kill. Paul wept and so do we. But have no fear, little flock, for our citizenship is not in this world, it is found in Christ. And because of the cross of Christ, our works are righteous in his sight, because by faith we are in him as he is in us. And all our unrighteous deed died at the cross right there.
No longer do we need keep a list of the unrighteous acts we must make up for. Christ took them to the cross and made them no more. No longer do we bear the weight of our sins on our souls because Jesus lifted them up on the cross and obliterated them. No longer do we identify with the sin we were born into because Jesus, born of a woman, bore the sins of the world and became the sin we never need bear again. And if anything righteous is done through us, it is in fact done by him. For we live in that peace that is truly not me who does anything righteous in his eyes, but Christ who lives in me. And that is all we truly need. Amen.